Welcome back to another episode of the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and so happy to have you with me today. All right, you know the scenario. Everything's going well. Prayer's good. Family life's all right. Life is just generally good. And then out of nowhere, something comes and upsets the apple cart. You start feeling a little discouraged, and often the first thing to go is prayer. Why? Why is that? You know, if God wants me to be close to him, why would he allow moments of discouragement that seemingly push me away? Well, spiritual desolation is the focus of today's episode, and joining me is Father Timothy Gallagher, popular author and lecturer on the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He has written and spoken much about navigating the spiritual life. He is a gentle soul and a skilled spiritual director, and his insights into spiritual desolation are singular. In this episode, we start by explaining who St. Ignatius of Loyola is and why he developed the spiritual exercises. We talk about learning how to distinguish the various movements within ourselves, the good spirit, the bad spirit, and our own human frailties. We define spiritual versus non-spiritual consolations and desolations. Father Gallagher describes the typical tactics used by the devil to trip us up on the spiritual journey and the value of attending to our own emotional life and how counseling can be of great benefit. We lay out various reasons why God would allow spiritual desolation and end this episode with differentiating between spiritual desolation as defined by Ignatius and the dark night of the soul as defined by John of the Cross. After you have finished listening to this episode, please leave a review or rate it on Apple Podcasts if that is how you are listening to the show. And according to my own personal stats, 75% of you are currently listening to this episode on an Apple device. So if that's one of you, please leave a review. It truly does help others to discover the show and benefit from the great content that I have here on the Always Hope Podcast. So let's get into this conversation with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Timothy Gallagher, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing today? Great. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for, for being here. We're in our, a makeshift studio right now. We're recording at Institute of Priestly Formation in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, which is a blessing, a ministry to, to be able to serve. But um, just if we can, for, for those the audience who, who don't know you, a little bit about yourself. Um, what, what is it that has brought you to understanding the spiritual exercises and why have you made that kind of a, a mission in your life? Well, I'm a religious priest, an oblate of the Virgin Mary, and the main work given to us by our founder, who is the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, an Italian priest who lived 200 years ago. He was really impressed by the power of the Ignatian retreat, the spiritual exercises, which can be adapted in all kinds of levels and for everyone. It can be done at home, it can be done in a parish, in a retreat house. The unique power, as he understood it and learned from experience, of this spiritual experience to create dispositions uh, that desire holiness and then also to serve apostolically. At the same time, the Jesuits who have this powerful instrument are not in the church specifically and only for this, for, for whatever needs the church may have, which historically has become largely education. Right. So you have a powerful means and you have too few people making it available. Mm. 
So the church needed, he, he felt, a group of priests who would be trained in this and didn't do other things and who would be dedicated to this. Um, training others in this, giving the retreat, offering spiritual direction out of this matrix and so on. So that's how an Oblate of the Virgin Mary happened to get into all of this. But personally, I just fell in love with the exercises as a seminarian, made the 30-day retreat just before final vows, and that was definitive. Yeah. Um, and that was the beginning of this work with discernment, which has just grown over the years. That's amazing. A beautiful story. Thank you. So I guess let's just start at the basics. Who is St. Ignatius of Loyola and why did he develop the spiritual exercises and what are they? He was a 16th century layman who became a priest who founded the Jesuits and then spent the last years of his life in Rome directing what was already a pretty far-flung religious community. The spiritual exercises come, uh, they are based on the church's tradition, which was mediated to him as a young man through various people and through various uh, written sources at the time. But they largely come out of his own spirit-guided experience. He had a dramatic conversion. He was something of an Augustine story, pretty far from God, until the age of 30, wounded in battle, and during a long convalescence had uh, a deep conversion. Mm -hmm. And uh, set off in search of the Lord, dedicated his whole life to that. And out of this experience, noted, as he said, a number of things in a notebook that he thought this has to be one of the great understatements in our spiritual tradition, some things that he thought might be useful to others. <laughs> and that was the origin, that notebook, of what became the classic book, The Spiritual Exercises. He continued to add to it throughout the years. So it is a, a it crafts an experience of God through repeated prayer with Scripture over a number of days in silence. Although, as I said earlier, this can be adapted. In, people can do it in daily life, just giving certain amount of time to prayer every day before they go to work, for example. Sure. Or preachers can come into parishes and guide people through this. Again, there are all sorts of ways of doing this. But it is an experience that leads a person through deep prayer to dispositions of grace that leave the person completely available to God. And in that availability, there is a wisdom in this book which helps a person hear God's response to the question, what do you want of me, Lord? For some, that might be the vocational discernment at a certain stage in life. And then for those who have already chosen their vocation, already know where God is calling them, marriage, priesthood, religious life, uh, wherever the Lord may be calling them, how are you calling me to grow, to live this more deeply, to say a firmer yes, to grow toward holiness within this vocation? And then the final stages of the experience confirm a person in those dispositions and leave the person not only with dispositions uh, to live this way, but with a spiritual formation in how to pray and how to hear God's voice, what we call discernment. Um, so th the spiritual exercises, as one author calls them, are an experience of life in the spirit, an experience, mm -hmm. which then leaves a person ready to take this to daily life. So the spiritual exercises, as they're known, is is a it's like a set curriculum, if that's right. Do you say that? Like your 30-day retreat would be the clearest example of this where you work through the exercises, or it can be tailor-made in various ways that you've spoken about. But is it has it been approached or is there a way of looking at it beyond just the set kind of uh, experience of a retreat or a parish mission or day like is it also a way of interpreting kind of at a broader sense spiritual theology or 
or using it in a daily basis as to kind of a way of life and how to understand how the spirit moves or how God moves within me? Is there a difference between those two or am I making a false distinction here? No, absolutely. The retreat is not a closed experience. Uh It's intended to send a person from the experience to daily life, equipped to do the things that you've just mentioned, to encounter the Lord in prayer and to, let's use Ignatius' own word, to discern spiritual experience because spiritual experience is going on all the time in our spiritual lives. Both on the affective level, Mm -hmm. things are stirring in our hearts, uh, resistances to certain things, attractions toward others, times of discouragement, times of spiritual energy. And then there are thoughts on the level of the mind that go along with these. So there is heart level and head level spiritual experience that is going on all the time in the spiritual life. Ignatius is certainly not the only one in the church's tradition that has described this experience but no one else in the church's spiritual tradition has described it with the clarity and I would say the practicality with which Ignatius has described it because he not only describes it helping us understand it, but gives a wealth of tools to know how to respond to it. Now, people can, a lot of my ministry these days is dedicated to sharing this with people who have not made the Ignatian spiritual exercises and these elements can be learned and lived in daily life. Obviously, if you can make that experience, it's a great thing to do. But for the many who have not or uh, simply don't have easy access to that, to learn this teaching uh, allows them to apply it in daily life. And I'd say a large part of the last almost 40 years of my life have been spent precisely in that setting, sharing this with people. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. I've I've been benefited and blessed by your ministry and your books and Okay, so thinking about then about the exercises and the role of direction and having a director kind of walk with you and understanding the head and the thoughts and the heart and the affect and the movements that are happening there. I can imagine, or at least maybe I should say questioning here, thinking of somebody who's listening to this, discerning God's will or walking with somebody and helping to discern God's will in their life. I can imagine that has to be kind of a fine line, doesn't it? I mean, is there a place where you can be too quick to make judgments and fall into an error of presumption or the other hand would probably be too, too passive in, in, in not making movements. And I guess I'm just saying that wisdom would have to really guide both the director and the direct direct E in the midst of these exercises. Yes. It's very clear for Ignatius who actually never uses the term retreat director. Okay. Uh, he's, and that's a time honored term and we use it for obvious reasons, but yeah. His vocabulary is instructive. He speaks about the one who receives the exercises and the one who gives the exercises, Mm. which vocabulary indicates that the primary relationship and discernment is not between the director and we'll call him the directee, but between the directee and the Holy Spirit. That's Mm. the primary relationship. The Holy Spirit is the real director. If the spiritual director does his part well, then what he does is to give the, I'll call him the retreat and just for clarity here. Sure. Uh, but the person he's guiding inside or outside of a retreat, uh, what he does is to give that person the elements the person needs to know how to pray and to know how to be attentive to the different movements, spiritual movements on the level of head and heart. That person then prays, has spiritual experience around the choice if there is a discernment of God's will involved brings this experience regularly to the retreat director, shares it, and so doing, 
uh, enters into it more deeply. And then with opportune questions or observations, the retreat director's part is simply to help the person understand more clearly where God is working or where the enemy, the evil one, might be trying to discourage the person as well. So that the retreat director, one image I heard, this was the Jesuit who guided my 30-day retreat, really mm. a saintly man, mm. um, Father Lacasse. Mm. He said the, the retreat director is really like the guardrail on a road. What he does is just to help the person stay within the limits of where God is God is leading and, and stay, continue to move forward in the way that God wants. So this requires on the part of the person, the willingness to pray, uh, to learn the various tools and to exercise them through the time of the retreat. And on the part of the director, the, the art and the wisdom to know how to guide the person well so that the person discerns. The retreat director doesn't discern, the person discerns right. guided by the spirit. Right. Uh, thank you. That's well said. Um, John of the Cross would speak something similar about with, with, with direction. You know, my understanding, the little bit that I've read about him in conversations is, is that piece that, um, that this, the director's role is, is like you said, almost supervising or just monitoring the guardrails is beautiful. You know, what's going on within the retreat and the individual and their relationship with the Holy spirit in, in, a term that you use often, and, and I and I appreciate. It. I think I've I've actually hijacked it a few times from you. Is with great reverence, with great reverence, do we enter into these experiences? And and as a counselor, even though it's not spiritual direction, in the sense that people open up to me about deep places in their heart, I always approach it with that same type of reverence. That listen, it's it's my place here to to help you and guide you and give you suggestions. And maybe in therapy, we can do some specific techniques or things that we have to do. But when it comes to big decisions, at the end of the day, like this is between you and the Lord and I'll help in whatever way that I can. But with great reverence, do I meet the person's kind of inner, inner sanctum, inner, inner, inner space? Um, because it really is a privilege when someone opens up to, to me as a counselor and shares with me things that they haven't shared with another person. I, I always, always meet that with, with great humility. Um, and so I can imagine as a, as a director directing retreats and and even as a priest, being able to hear people's confessions in context of that um, would, would even more so tap into that sense of tread lightly, you know, let the Holy Spirit work within this person's life, encourage them to continue to face the things that they need to face and help them kind of walk along the way. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. That phrase with great reverence is never something forced, at least as I as I use it. It's a very sure. natural and spontaneous response to that kind of uh, opening up that you receive as you've described uh, just now. But ultimately for me, that comes from watching Jesus interact with people in the gospels. These um, broken lives, uh, broken hearts, um, broken bodies that people bring to Jesus. Um, and I don't mean the Pharisees who come with uh, hypocrisy and so on, but sure. people who come with all their human hurt and woundedness on their various levels, but sincerely, seeking to approach Jesus, it's astounding to see the sensitivity with which Jesus responds. So Peter's heart is broken after his threefold denial. And all Jesus does, no, no recriminations, just tell me, tell me, do you love me? Say it again, say it again, and Peter is healed. Or Mary Magdalene on Easter morning with her heart uh, in such deep sorrow for the loss of her Lord, and Jesus simply says her name, which is the one thing she needs to hear from him. And we could go through the whole Gospels this way, but it is remarkable to watch how sensitively 
Jesus responds to each individual. Mm. I think that's that's the only way that we can approach people's deep, intimate experience. In my case, on the spiritual level, and I know uh, you, Mario, would be more on the uh, emotional, psychological level. Yeah. But that's the appropriate, and people people flourish when you do that, just as those who approach Jesus did. Uh, of course, on a different level, but it's the same principle. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, thank you for that. Okay, so let's kind of get into this a little bit here. Is uh, Part of the discernment is recognizing when we're in and again, please tell me if I'm saying, even asking the question right, the difference between consolation and desolation um, and attentive to, to each of those movements, both at a spiritual and a non-spiritual level and thoughts or affect, just kind of in general, how does one, what, what is the role of consolation and desolation and, and how do we, how are we attentive to either one of those kind of movements? So I'll answer that question in the light of Ignatius' first set of rules for the discernment of spirits, the 14 rules, which is most often what I am teaching uh, about in, in various settings, and I'm sure. sure that's what you have in mind here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in the spiritual experience that Ignatius presumes in these rules, which is most of us basically, <laughs> uh, which is why I can confidently go into a parish or any setting and, and share these rules, spiritual consolation is always a work of the good spirit of God. And spiritual desolation, in any case, is always a work of the evil one. Ignatius uses the word enemy most of the time, so I'll use that as we're speaking. Sure. It's a good word because it indicates that Satan, the evil one, the fallen angel, and his cohorts are inimical to or against uh, what God wants for us, what God destined us for. Now, together with the fallen angel, there is also just the weakness of our humanity, as a legacy of original sin, what we call concupiscence, and of course, harmful influences around us in the world. So hold on, we're going to stop right there. So we can move, the discernment is, is between those three voices or spirits, the good spirit, the Holy Spirit, the enemy, and then even just kind of our own fallen brokenness and concupiscence in the midst of that? All right, we, we have the classic triad, the mm -hmm. world, the flesh, and the devil. That That's all this is. So Beautiful. we all know by experience that when we want to move toward God, we can encounter some resistance and they can be this can be from things external to us people's response to us it can be from things within us uh, it's just hard to make the effort or we get discouraged and so on so that that uh, resistance which is inimical to moving toward god can be either through the influence of the evil one the fallen angel directly or just the, um, the the liability, the debility of our humanity as a legacy of original sin, and then a harmful influences around us. So um, all of that together is what we mean by the word enemy. Okay. And then on the other side, we have Ignatius' vocabulary is the good spirit. This is obviously God himself, the Holy Spirit who works in the hearts of his children. This would also be the good angels. If there are fallen angels, much more are there the good angels who are our companions and minister to us, as scripture shows. And then if there is a liability, a weakness in us of concupiscence as a legacy of original sin, much, much more in us through the power of baptism, there is a richness of grace, a power of grace. And uh, if there are harmful influences around us in a fallen world, but a world that is not only fallen, but redeemed and loved, there are endless influences for good around us. And again, all of us know that 
with just a little reflection, people we've met, a book that we read, an experience in life, and, and so forth, podcasts like this. <laughs> I hope. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so all of that set of influences were, which are either God himself or are from God and directed to God, that's what we mean by the good spirit. So these okay. would be the, eternal, the two external actors, the good spirit and the enemy, and the space uh, in which they work is the human person, mm. the mind and the will of the human person where we have freedom to reject the harmful influences and accept the good, which please God is where discernment leads us. Yeah. And so then the difference between consolation and desolation then would be what? Okay. Consolation then is a, uh, um, uh, an experience of grace given to us by the good spirit. And both words are key, spiritual and consolation. Consolation simply means as the word uh, normally does mean simply means it's an affective word. It's a heart level word, mm -hmm. and it means an uplifting movement of the heart. Mm -hmm. So joy, peace, gratitude, hope, and similar. And Ignatius specifies that this is spiritual consolation. So he's speaking about an uplifting movement of the heart on the level of our spiritual life, on the level of faith, on the level of our relationship with God. Now, you used earlier the vocabulary of non-spiritual as well. So non-spiritual doesn't mean necessarily bad at all. Right. Just that it's on the natural, human, emotional, psychological level. So to make this clear, I use in the book this example of St. Therese. She's in the last months of her life. She's already quite ill. And her older sister, who is like her, a nun in the Carmel, assists Therese to walk out into the interior courtyard and garden of the Carmel, just to get her out. As they're out there, Therese sees under a tree in front of her a mother hen with the wings outstretched and the little heads of the chicks peeping out from the safety of their mother's wings. And she stops just enjoying looking at a charming scene from nature. In terms of discernment, again, this is where we approach things with reverence. We're on holy ground here. Amen. She is experiencing a very healthy, non-spiritual consolation. It's just a natural, it's just enjoying a charming scene from nature. We could also have healthy, non-spiritual consolation from listening to uplifting music or... Um, movies, for me, I'll say uh, I use movies often to, sure. to find rest and consolation in mm -hmm. stories. So, yeah. yeah, with uplifting content that right. uh, makes us want what is good and... Um, just friends getting together, yeah. enjoying a meal with family and so on. There's, there's a wide range of very healthy, non-spiritual consolations that God has built into his world. Now, what happens as Therese gazes at this scene is that it dawns on her, and this is where grace comes in now. This is the image God uses in the Bible to describe his faithful love for his people. Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, or so often in the Psalms, hide me in the shelter of your wings. And a warm sense of gratitude surges up in her heart as the image before her portrays for her God's faithful, protecting love for his people. At this point, Therese is now experiencing a specifically spiritual consolation. God has inserted, if we use Ignatius' vocabulary, the good spirit, has infused into the healthy non-spiritual consolation a further experience of grace, which can only be given through grace. But the occasion, the natural occasion, is the healthy non-spiritual consolation uh, of gratitude for God's faithful love. And as she, as she continues to watch, there's even a third step in this because it further dawns on her. 
this is not just the story. This image is not just the story of God's love for his people as a whole. This is the story of my own life. This is what he has done for me at every stage of my life. He has kept me safe under the shelter of his wings. And at this point, her sister tells us, her tears fall so abundantly that she can't even speak. And when she shares this hours later that evening, she's still very deeply moved. So there you see non-spiritual consolation and spiritual consolation and how very often in God's providence, healthy non-spiritual consolation is the space into which God will infuse specifically spiritual consolation, which parenthetically makes a point that it is a good thing for the spiritual life and not just as good stewards of our humanity that we have a certain amount of healthy non-spiritual consolation. You enjoy a meal with your family, you're ready to pray. Yeah. You know, that, that yeah. sort of thing. Right. right. Now, the same thing works on the other end as well. Okay. There is non-spiritual and spiritual desolation, which is going to be exactly mm -hmm. the just opposite. Want, let's stop real quick, just to put this together with consolation, non-spiritual and spiritual. That it, it can happen directly spiritual in prayer, you're meditating on scripture, or some some grace comes upon you. You didn't seek, you didn't ask, and God just kind of blessing you in the midst of that. That would be strictly non, a spiritual consolation in one example of that, certainly. Or even if we're just open in the daily movements of our life, as you just mentioned, um, even seemingly non-spiritual acts can be uplifted. And God uses those um, uh, natural occurrences, nature, experience, uh, going on a run or spending time with family or friends or um, or listening to music or, or seeing just nature, whether it's the, the, the mother hen and her chicks like with St. Therese, that God is, God, because he's always operating, um, wants to, he can even use these experiences that seem kind of, um, what's the word, um, mundane or simple or, or quick to pass, but that he can bless those moments also and elevate those to, to a level of spiritual consolation. Is, 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 that, is that right? Absolutely. Another way of saying this is that all of our humanity is engaged in the spiritual life. Amen. All of it. <laughs> Actually, if people want to explore this a little more, uh, St. Paul VI, uh, Pope Paul VI, gave us a, a beautiful document in 1975 entitled On Christian Joy, mm. Gaudete and Domino. It's a short document and it's a jewel. And in it, he has a section in which he speaks of what he calls the many natural joys in our vocabulary, healthy, non-spiritual consolations mm -hmm. that God has built into his creation and intends that we enjoy, making the point that humanity knows too little of these wow. and that part of uh, Christianity reverences them, never, never looks down on them, on the contrary, reverences them and teaches them to a world that needs to know more about them uh, and then raises them to another level, even as the grace of Christ can mingle with these. So, if anyone would like to explore this more uh, on Christian joy, Pope Paul VI is a great resource. Well, we will have the link to that as well in the show notes. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. This is Dr. Mario, and I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Father Gallagher to invite you to find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa, where I offer regular thoughts on culture and faith. I recently wrote a reflection on the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, which was amazing and absolutely terrifying and gripping. Truly one of the best things I've seen all year on TV or in the movies. So go to my Facebook or Instagram page to find out more. Now let's get back to this conversation with Father Gallagher.
Okay, let's transition to desolation then. Okay, now we have exactly the opposite on this on um, the other end of the spectrum when the sure. enemy is working. The enemy has two basic what I would call garden variety tactics. And this is just ordinary universal experience. Both of, uh, both of these are experienced by anyone who lives the spiritual life. So we're not speaking about the uh, St. John Vianney with uh, mystical experiences and uh, or Padre no- Pio noises who in the would night. Get, you know, the, the devil would beat him up in his cell. And, sure. and we're not speaking about that type of level of locution. No, this is just ordinary experience. As I say these, everyone will recognize them. There is absolutely no shame in experiencing these. This is just what it means to live the spiritual life in a fallen, redeemed, and loved world. What changes is once we we understand what's going on, that sets us free to make good choices with regard to it, which is what Ignatius is trying to help us to do. So the, the two basic garden variety, and again, garden variety doesn't mean not potentially harmful. If we give in to these, they will be very harmful. Garden variety simply means that this is ordinary spiritual experience. One is temptation, which is a deceptive suggestion of the enemy. Why don't you let your prayer go till later? Um, you can let yourself see that. It doesn't have to get out of hand too far. Yeah, go ahead and say it. You know, he, she's got it coming. He's whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all familiar with the enemy's temptations. And the other is the spiritual desolation. Desolation, like consolation, is a heart-level word, affective word. And if consolation means an uplifting movement of the heart, desolation means a downward or heavy movement of the heart. Desolation is a heavy movement of the heart. So discouragement, hopelessness, sadness, and and so forth. And again, the adjective precedes. Ignatius is speaking about heavy movements of the heart on the spiritual level, on the level of our relationship with God, on the level of faith. So let's give an example of that as well. Let's do it. Here is a man who uh, is working on a project at work and uh, gets some feedback this morning um, on the project at work, and it's negative. Um, Somebody is quite critical of it. It's discouraging. Uh, So a little bit of heaviness and grayness uh, comes into his day. At this point, he is experiencing non-spiritual desolation. So there's a heavy movement of the heart just on the natural level. When something disappoints us, we feel a little discouraged. It's just a very natural uh, human response. Well, let's say he doesn't really deal too well with this. Um, Maybe he often uh, goes to mass during his lunch hour, but just got so discouraged today that he just didn't go, just felt like he just didn't have the energy and just lets it go. Maybe as he drives home from work, he has a rosary app playing in the car and today just just felt too discouraged to to do it and maybe just put on some music or nothing. And uh, let's say we get now to, oh, it's nine o'clock. He's... uh, in his room. And normally at this time, as the day is ending, his active day is ending, he will say he reads from scripture for 15 minutes or so, makes an examination of conscience. But tonight as he sits uh, in the chair in his room, has no energy to do that, doesn't feel God's closeness. Um, There's the smartphone. It would be so easy to pick it up. And there are, there's YouTube and video games and social media and so on. At this point, the non-spiritual consolation, uh, which to which he hasn't really responded too well, and that's again, let's be reverent here, let's not be too hard on him, we've all been there. 
Yes, everyone, right. everyone, including the speaker, can recognize that experience. <laughs> um, the non-spiritual desolation, that natural discouragement, that human vulnerability has become a space into which the enemy has brought now a spiritual uh, reality, which is the spiritual desolation, the lack of energy for spiritual things, the heaviness about the spiritual life, feeling like I'm here and God, you're at some distance away from me and so on, no desire to pray and all the rest of that. So that's that specifically is what Ignatius is speaking about in these 14 rules. And essentially what he's going to try to do is to equip us to be aware of, now what if this man at nine o'clock knows this teaching, for example, and at a certain point when he's about to reach out for the smartphone, says, wait a second, you know, this isn't good, something going on here. Okay, he's become aware. That's the beginning of discernment. There's something going on here that has spiritual significance that I need to look at. Takes a little bit of look uh, of a look at this with asking the Lord's help and is able to name it. There's some spiritual desolation going on here. And you know, this started, this morning I was happy. I felt the Lord's closeness. Um, but it started at mid-morning when I got that feedback that was heavy. And I've kind of letting been letting it uh, drive me throughout the day. Now he understands what's going on and, and he starts to take the right spiritual action to reject it. No, Lord, I'm going to reach out for the Bible in the way I do every night. I'm not going to change that because of this desolation and never reaches out for the smartphone in that way that evening. This is precisely what Ignatius is trying to help us to do. And you know, Mario, if it's true, as after, as I say, almost 40 years of working with this material, I really believe it is true that for most dedicated people, that is people for whom the Lord Jesus is important and with all our frailties really want to adhere to the Lord and live according to the Lord and grow. For most dedicated people, the real obstacle, the principal obstacle, I would say, for most of the spiritual journey is spiritual desolation when we get disheartened and discouraged. And if we're not aware of it, don't understand what it is and don't take action to reject it can uh, regress spiritually. So a teaching which equips people to be aware of spiritual desolation, understand it, name it when it's there, and gives them the tools to take action to reject it. To my mind, for most people, is the greatest service that Ignatius does. And that's where all my writing and speaking and so on yeah. arise. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. So with the example that you spoke about, this man has this non-spiritual desolation interaction with work, but not attending to it appropriately, which... He could attend to in a non-spiritual way, conversation with friends. Maybe he comes home with his wife and says, man, you know, my boss is real work here, man. It just really kind of chewed me out. Or I worked really hard on this and I feel some disappointment that this project didn't get the, the praise I thought I was going to. And there's an element of that, this acknowledging that and just giving space for that, um, but not allowing it to get to the point where, where it crosses over into um if I may say, use a counseling term here, projection then to God, where then it becomes something that, that gets the desolation, prevents you from moving forward in, in your own spiritual life. Because that non-spiritual desolation, the, the struggle, the challenge that's there, that's that's precisely what God wants. And so when I say precisely, but he wants all of our humanity and, and bringing even the non-spiritual struggles to the Lord is part of being in relationship with him. Right? Yes, another way of saying that, which uh, ties in very directly to the wonderful service that you offer to people, is that the more we grow in human maturity, 
affective maturity specifically in this case, the less vulnerable we're going to be to the enemy's tactic of spiritual desolation. So whatever helps a person to handle uh, the inevitable disappointments of life with, with more fortitude, with more wisdom, more quickly to take healthy steps and so on. Yeah, he picks up the phone, uh, calls his wife or speaks with another colleague, gets another insight on this, helps him understand better what was said. And actually, this can become a source of hope for him. Okay, I see. I've always had difficulty with that aspect of projects like this. Now I have a better sense of, you know, that kind of transformation. Every time we um, close a human vulnerability, a non-spiritual human vulnerability, whether it's emotional or physical. So for example, a person who lets himself get too run down by working with too little sleep week after week or doesn't exercise or take proper care of his physical humanity and begins to change that. Every time we limit emotional and physical vulnerabilities, we're doing something wonderful for our spiritual lives as well. As I said earlier, we're not only being good stewards of our humanity, which God calls us to be. It's a treasure that God has given us and we need to take good care of it so that we can fulfill the tasks that God has given us in this world. But every time he does that or she does that, these people are also strengthening themselves for the spiritual life as well. Um, Okay. A few different thoughts kind of running through my mind right now. I guess one for people who work in the church that sometimes the spiritual and non-spiritual kind of get blurred. I find um, you, you, it's your job. Yeah. But you want to, but let's say that, that this scenario is a man who is a youth minister at a parish and he's been working hard on this project and he proposes it to father and father, for whatever reason, didn't like what he had to say and kind of came down hard on Norman. Again, respect maybe the, the priest was having a bad day or or maybe he really needed to come down whatever the scenario i'm just saying the man comes back to home and and now what can happen is isn't just that it's work or that it's you know that i that the, the narrative of um, i don't feel like i'm good enough i i did this whatever the psychological narrative. but now it's well it's a priest who chastised me and and, and the, the, the blurring of the lines kind of happens sometimes with people who work in the church and facing those the, the balance between the spiritual and the non-spiritual. Any thoughts or any wisdom that, that you would offer in, in a situation like that how to help somebody kind of navigate that within themselves? Well, I think the principle would be the same that we just enunciated just now. That is that the more this man learns about himself, this is why people like... Um, St. Teresa of Avila, for example, will say that self-knowledge is the bread that we eat every step of the way on the spiritual life. Or if you look at the first line of St. Catherine of Siena's uh, dialogues, that a soul rises up having spent time in the cell of self-knowledge and filled with humility or with great energy, it goes out to basically to proclaim Christ to the world. The more we grow in self-knowledge, um, which is another way of speaking of human and spiritual maturity, then the greater light we're going to have on these things. Probably if this man has responded in this way, in that situation, which happens to be um, a relationship with a priest, he probably has had similar responses in other settings that are not specifically church-related as well. So the more he can grow in that. And this is where all the tools come in. Uh, A faithful life of prayer, uh, a life of the sacraments, the sacrament of confession, just anything you know, meeting with someone like you mm-hmm. uh, and the help that can come uh, from that. You know, just um, 
many times, even at a single meeting with someone that has your expertise about issues like this can be very illuminating just to, I remember when uh, one of the roles that I had, I was when I was provincial superior in our community and that engaged me in a lot of relationships uh, because of the position and the responsibility I had that were new to me. And an occasional conversation like this uh, with a good Catholic counselor was really, really helpful to me. I'll always be grateful to it because I would understand the dynamics better. And then I'd know what would be more helpful or less helpful in dealing with this, this kind of situation. So all of the, look, the eagle flies with two wings. It, when we applied at the same time, simultaneously, any healthy non-spiritual means toward growth, those I've just mentioned and many others, and at the same time, the spiritual tools, the sacraments, prayer, spiritual direction, Ignatian discernment of spirits, then I, I've seen wonderful, wonderful things happen. The eagle flies, healing happens, people grow. So that's ultimately where this would lead. If a person says, how do I decrease that vulnerability? How do I grow in this? Use the, the, the healthy non-spiritual tools that are there and the spiritual ones as well. This is something I cover in a recent book that I just published on these rules entitled, um, for obvious reasons, setting captives free. Mm personal reflections on Ignatian discernment of spirits. And I have a section where we go through all of this. Wonderful. Wonderful. So why does God allow desolation? Great question. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Mark, spiritual, non-spiritual. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you really want to go back to root causes, I suppose you'd have to say original sin. Yeah, sure. I mean, God, sure, sure, God sure. never intended that the world yeah. be, um, contain things like disaster and suffering yeah. and so on. Yeah. But then did this marvelous um, salvific work for humanity in taking that very instrument, uh, uh, that very reality of suffering in all its various forms and in Christ trans, um, translating that into an instrument of salvation. So if God allows these things, it's always for a salvific reason. Uh, whatever the cause may be, whatever the responsibility of the various people involved. Now, specifically, I mean, you're, I smiled when you asked the question because what you're doing in asking these questions is you are recreating Ignatius's 14 rules. There's, it's not arbitrary that he just chose and said, well, I'll make 14. They, they are 14 because he needed that many to cover the various questions that arise. Spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation, what we've just described, um, he describes in rules three and four. The question that you've just asked is he answers in rule nine okay. and basically says there are at least three reasons. There are others, but three principal reasons for which a God who loves us would permit us to undergo spiritual desolation. And that question, you know, is so real. Yes, it is. Here's a person who has had a reversion to his or her faith, uh, has let go of things that are spiritually harmful, is growing in prayer, living a life in the church with new energy and experiencing spiritual desolation. And there's the question, Lord, why is this happening? I'm just trying to do the best I can. So Ignatius says, sometimes God may allow it. If you have a person whose life is generally progressing toward God and then begins to regress at a certain point in one area. So let's say here's a woman who prays for 20 minutes every morning with scripture. She started uh, a year ago, loves it sees her faith becoming more alive. She's more patient at work and with the family, loves what's happening in the home. 
And then let's say that uh, she goes through one of these, let's say it's a holiday, it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or something with all the busyness. And then uh, some of the children get ill and she's up throughout the night for a number of days. And uh, maybe her husband has to work overtime and so on. Everything just kind of goes helter skelter during this time. And without a conscious choice, the prayer just slips. And let's say today she's uh, driving to school to pick up the children. And she stopped at a red light and it dawns on her, Lord, I don't feel you as close. Mm. And then it clicks that that prayer has slipped and she finds herself saying, I'm starting tomorrow again. This would be a first reason why a God who loves us will permit us to undergo spiritual desolation, just to alert us to a need to reintegrate some area of our life into our general progress toward God. Now, when I have groups, I, I ask this question, and I tell people I don't want an answer uh, out <laughs> loud. I ask, how many of us would consider that the question that you raised is already fully answered at this point? That is, if, if I am experiencing spiritual desolation, it is because I am at fault somewhere. Uh, and this is God's way of um, you know, letting me know that I'm at fault and something needs to change. Well, for Ignatius, there are still two further reasons for which a God who loves us will permit us to undergo spiritual desolation when we are not negligent, not at fault in any way, because there are other kinds of growth that normally speaking in the spiritual life only come through going through the struggle with some spiritual grayness or or spiritual desolation. If it gets heavy enough, we call it spiritual darkness, I suppose. We touched on what John of the Cross would call the dark night of the senses. No, that's no. a different reality. Different reality. But let's, let's complete what we're saying here, Got but it. not lose that question because okay. that's important. Sounds great. Thank you. Um, so I interrupt you. Mm-hmm. There, there is a distinction between spiritual desolation, as Ignatius describes it, and the dark night, as John of the Cross describes it. Those are two different realities. But that's an important question, so I'm glad you've raised it. Ignatius says sometimes God will permit the discouragement and struggle with spiritual desolation as a trial because of the wisdom, the learning, and the growth that comes through it. There is a passage in one of the first Jesuit saints, St. Pierre Favre, who was companion of Ignatius at the University of Paris. Wonderful, wonderful man, just a, a beautiful, holy, saintly man with a warm heart. Subject to an awful lot of uh, discouragement and depression and scruples before he met Ignatius. He was one of the first captives set free by Ignatius and forever grateful for it. There's a passage in which he describes going through times of spiritual desolation and then chronicles that I never went through this without at the very same time or very shortly thereafter, so no great lapse of time, discovering in the Lord the remedy. Mm. And as I was going through this, was growing in uh, understanding and discerning the spirits, the good spirit and the discouraging lies and tactics of the enemy. Now that's the dynamic. And he also uh, concludes this passage by saying that these goads, as he calls them, never let me remain complacent in the spiritual life, but they always urge me on to grow. So sometimes God will permit spiritual desolation God doesn't give spiritual desolation. It's always a work of the enemy. But God will permit the enemy to bring spiritual desolation because as we go through it, now if we just give in to it, it's only going to harm us, which is the enemy's hope and purpose. But if we are discerning, we're aware of it, we understand that this is spiritual desolation, and we take action, apply the tools to reject it, 
then we're going to grow in ways that normally speaking otherwise would not happen in the spiritual life. One author says it this way, without spiritual desolation, we would remain spiritual children. Without spiritual desolation, we would remain spiritual children. And I think all of us, as I said, looking back over our lives, can see how sometimes it was the times of darkness that moved us to take the most helpful spiritual steps we've taken in our lives. And then thirdly, Ignatius says, sometimes God will permit spiritual desolation, again, when we're not at fault or negligent in any way, because the experience of spiritual desolation opens our eyes to, as it were, in the flesh, we experience that any spiritual consolation that we have received uh, is not our doing, but it, all of it is the gift and grace of God. And the experience of spiritual desolation, when we feel the struggle of it and prayer is hard and so on, we see clearly that all spiritual consolation is God's gift and grace, which roots us in that rich biblical space of humility. It's like Mary, whose heart thrills with joy that God has looked upon her low estate and done great things in her. So to summarize that, we can say, why does God allow spiritual desolation? First, to heal us. Secondly, to provide an opportunity to grow. And thirdly, to help us avoid the spiritual pitfall. When you look at that, you say, basically, you know, after years, it dawned on me. What God is doing in permitting these experiences of spiritual desolation is using the enemy against himself. Mm -hmm. As we read in, uh, as in the book of Genesis, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. Right. Yeah. Right. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Mario again. And just taking another quick breather from this conversation with Father Gallagher to encourage you to go to his website, fathertimothygallagher.org, where you'll find links to all his recorded lectures, his videos, his books, if you're interested in learning more about the spiritual exercises and his approach, Father Gallagher's approach, that is, on how to incorporate them into your life. Those distinctions are beautiful when we talk about them now and in our conversation, but it can be tremendously agonizing in practice. I mean, I'm going to think of my own experiences with, with real desolations and, and have been on the other side of that. I understand how God is, again, allows, not that he, not that he desired my de those desolation, but that allowed certain experiences to happen so that I can kind of navigate and grow and mature. Um, for me, a, a tremendous resource in the midst of some of the desolations that I've gone through recently um, has been Father Walter Chiswick, and he leadeth me. And the profound insights that he's come to with with what you're saying about, he didn't say this, but in essence, that like there's providence at work in all of this. Um, and that even in the desolation and the consolation, God, God is, God, for those of us who are genuinely seeking him, he is operating within us because he is relentless in desiring the fullness of our human maturity. And if at times he needs to use trials or darkness or experiences to allow for the, the goodness, the fullness of who we are to emerge, then, uh, then, then bless him. I've said this before on this show. It's because it, it comes to me often as a grief observed. C.S. Lewis is, I think, a master in some of this as well when it comes to, to those trials. Um, 
in the image that Lewis uses is, is a house of cards. And he says that sometimes we create this house of cards. It's almost like this idol that we say, this is God. We think that we've got God figured out. And, and to some degree, it's sort of him as we moved. But then sometimes these trials emerge where God like blows it down. <laughs> and he does it in a way that is, is, is merciful because he wants the depth of our relationship to, 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 to be real, to be more real than, than it can be. And ultimately, that's leading us towards Christian perfection, towards heaven, towards holiness. That's, that's where all this is kind of going. Well, it's precisely from that that comes the title of that book, He Leadeth Me. He really does. Yeah, that's it. He leads me. Yeah. And in terms of the categories we're using now, he leads me not 50% of the time. Of course, this is just a, a way of expressing something. Yeah, of course. Not 50% of the time when I'm in spiritual consolation, but the other 50% when there's some struggle with desolation, that's sort of outside the range of God's providence. But God's providence is love leading me is at work 100% of the time, either giving the joy of spiritual consolation and the, the beautiful strengthening and growth that comes through receiving that, or permitting the struggle with spiritual desolation because of the different kinds of growth that come through that. So that God's providence, you know, it's uh, like the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night leading the Israelites. God is always at work in our lives. Well, I think sometimes if we're all honest, maybe we've fallen a little bit too much in kind of a modern prosperity gospel, this notion that we're only blessed by how big our bank account is, or or if, if something's wrong, something's happening, it, is it my fault? Am I, have, I, have I contributed to this? Have I sinned in some way? And and for some of my listeners, I know that schools kind of are alive and maybe they're too harsh on themselves with that. Um, I don't know, any, any thoughts that you would offer, you know, in those circumstances? Well, you know, Jesus tells us in the gospel, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The, the cross is a normal part of spiritual of the spiritual life, a certain amount of struggle in various ways, and we all have it uh, in various ways. But that's a beautiful verse because it indicates that uh, we're not on our own with this. Let it uh, come, come after me. Uh, we, we have the Lord who leads us, who accompanies us, who strengthens us in this. And we have his promise that it, if we carry our cross, faithfully. In this specific uh, instance, we're speaking about the occasional struggles. For some, maybe more than occasional, although that doesn't have to be. That can change. That's where these rules are so life-changing. Um, but the struggles with spiritual desolation in the measure that we encounter them, like Jesus' own Good Friday, which leads to an Easter Sunday, an explosion of grace in the world, birth of the church and the sending of the spirit and the mission of the apostles and the sacraments and all the rest of it. Um, the same pattern will hold true in our lives. If we go faithfully through the struggle, and again, Ignatius is a master at equipping us to do this, then uh, the result is going to be new life, new spiritual life in us and through us for others. So I guess, uh, Mario, as I speak, you know, maybe my key reason for being really happy to do this uh, podcast with you is my hope is that anyone listening would feel motivated to learn more about these 14 rules. Yeah. I know we'll talk Amen. about resources before Absolutely. we speak, but I can tell anyone listening from close to 40 years now of experience of teaching these rules in all kind, every setting you can imagine, uh, in various countries, 
people with various educational, cultural, professional backgrounds. I have seen over and over and over again how transformative and life-changing these roles can be. So many people will, will approach me and say, oh, I wish I'd known this 10, 20, 50 years ago, which I love, by the way, because what that's saying is, oh, I really see what's going on here and it's right. going to make a difference now. Th that's why I, I, my biblical reference for this teaching of these 14 rules is Luke 4, when Jesus says in the synagogue, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives and let the oppressed go free. Jesus did not come that we would live our lives hostage, captive to these discouraging lies of the enemy. He came to set captives free. And these 14 rules are a powerful tool for that. So I just really warmly encourage anyone listening to get to know them. And I can promise you, you'll be glad that you did. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, I know we're, we're at an hour right now. Um, you still have a few more minutes. Can we go a little bit longer? Is that all right? couple questions I want to kind of ask you kind of getting into this is okay so we've talked about desolation in terms of the way we've kind of spoken about it almost in a sense it's transitory it's a, a difficult moment with a boss or a difficult period with finances or a difficult season with Christmas or any of the examples we've talked about do the rules still apply when it's something more long-standing I'm thinking a cancer diagnosis um, or uh, infertility or a single woman in her late 30s who or single man in his early 40s who hasn't been able to find the spouse or the vocation. When there's a long-standing kind of ache that's present there, whether it's spiritual or non-spiritual, is, is the, do the rules still apply even when something is not just transitory, but seems to be more of a, at a chronic level? Sure. And this is another place that we'll approach with great reverence because right. I know this can touch deep places in people's lives. Yes. So the answer is yes. What you're describing there in terms of discernment is a long-standing non-spiritual desolation. Okay. There's a vulnerability there right. for some physical or relational or financial reason, uh, as the case may be, which means that there is a long-standing vulnerable, vulnerable space for the enemy to bring spiritual desolation. However, and I want to say this with all the emphasis that I can, that need not happen. Mm. I'll say it again. That mm. need not happen. Again, Jesus did not come that we might be held, held hostage for years, months and years to these discouraging lies of the enemy because everything about spiritual desolation coming from the father of lies is either an outright lie or a truth twisted to a lie. He came to set captives free. So the, the non-spiritual situation, uh, we, we do our best to handle that. So we take the advice of the doctors um, we reach out relationally. We do the best we can financially with things. But once we're doing our best with that, we can understand, I think, with great, I would, I, I want to use the word serenity, even mm -hmm. though the burden is there, that this is a cross that the Lord is asking me to carry. I'm doing my best. The burden is there. This is my Good Friday. It will lead to an Easter Sunday carried with Jesus. However, that is never true of the spiritual desolation that the enemy may bring in there. Look at you. I hate to even say these things, but I'm going to put words to it. The enemy is the accuser as well. Look at you. Um, at this point in your life, something wrong with you. Uh, you're never going to amount to much spiritually. 
you're never going to really grow much in the spiritual life or grow toward holiness. Don't think things are ever really going to change. As I say, I hate to even say that, but it's good to bring the enemy out into the light. All of that is a lie. Amen. And lie right now Amen. is in capital letters with a few exclamation points after it. If anyone listening has heard those voices or is hearing them, know that you are called to freedom from them. Amen. So that a lot can change. A lot can change. Yeah. So even in the midst of the non the non spiritual desolation that could be long standing, um, it doesn't have to get to the point of believing those lies. And that's the work of faith. That's going to be the work, even if probably of counseling as well, of being able to kind of understand what the narratives are that were holding us back um, from being able to have that freedom to go towards the Lord, even in the midst of carrying a longstanding cross. So thank you for your conviction and your beauty just now to, to put a finger on the specific lies that, that can harbor people's minds. Again, a little bit that I know um, with it, there, there's a rule that has been said that when you discern matters in consolation and you've come to a decision on it, that when a spiritual desolation, specifically a spiritual desolation emerges, to not change that which you discerned in the moment of spiritual consolation. Now, maybe my distinctions aren't right here and so I can use some clarity. Um, I get that in the sense of uh, spiritual practices or uh, if you've really, not even spiritual practice, but if you've made a real commitment on something to not abandon that commitment at first struggle, but there needs to be something to kind of push through it. But what about something like, let's go back to this example of, of a boss or a work environment that you and you really discern that this was the right move for the, for the family. I thought this was going to be the right thing. We talked, it did all, checked all the boxes, did everything I was supposed to do. And I get into the circumstance and I just realize I'm in a toxic environment. And I didn't realize it before, but I really discerned it. Do I stay in it because I'm supposed to just kind of push through? Or do I need to get out of it because I'm just in agony? Mm-hmm. Well, what you've done, Amario, here as we're winding up toward yes. our conclusion yes. is to raise a whole other issue. <laughs> so, um, Ignatius, Forgive me, Father. <laughs> um, Ignatius actually speaks of two different kinds of discernment. What we have talked about thus far is discernment of spirits, and that is discerning these ups and downs in daily spiritual experience, spiritual consolation, spiritual desolation, and learning how to recognize them and learning how to accept the one from God and uh, being equipped with the tools to reject the other from the enemy. The question you've just raised now is a question of discernment of God's will in a choice that we face. Okay. Now, there is a, a relationship, there is an overlap between these two forms of discernment, but they are distinct forms of discernment. So to answer that question, we would apply a different teaching in Ignatius, and that is his teaching on the different ways that God helps us to discern in choices that we face. Because what what you're describing there is a discernment that was well-made in a choice. Does God want me to take this job? Is that where he's leading me in the family? And let's presume that everything was done well in the discernment, Mm -hmm. all the prayer, the consultation, getting information, husband and wife uh, conversation. And uh, we can presume that that the decision was made well, um, but now things have changed. Something new has come into this. And so the, the individual is now facing a new discernment of God's will. Is it God's will that I stay here or is there another option that might be better for the family? And so he would need to go through the process of discerning God's will, will in this new choice using the same tools to make a good discernment of God's will. If you'll permit, 
I have a book on this too. Yeah, please. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be a long show notes. There's going to be a lot of resources. You, you I'm just going to put your website, link to all your books. and Well, <laughs> uh, there, there's a reason why uh, I wrote these various yes, books. Yes, of course, because these questions are all real. come up often. Absolutely. Yeah, this one is called um, Discerning the Will of God, an Ignatian Guide to Christian Decision Making. Now, I also have podcasts on all of this. Probably Great. would be good if we could mention these resources yes, before we conclude. Yes. Would that be appropriate now? Um, how about we finish the answer and then we'll, okay. we'll go into the plug in the resource. Is that good? Okay. Great. Um, well, I think that's probably as much as we should try to say, because if I get into how we discern God's will in a choice, we face the various tools and the ways we recognize God's, um, answer, which again is, is a marvelous gift to the church through mm -hmm. St. Ignatius. That would be a whole nother conversation. So I, Okay. I'll refer to those sources, I think, rather than get into that here. Okay. Well, maybe we can. Now, we have one outstanding question. You raised the issue of. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for bringing it back to that. Dark knife. Should we at least say a little yes, about that? Yes, let's at least say something about that. Okay. Thank you. Because people throw these terms around. Mm -hmm. I think because they hear them, they may have heard them in conversation and then they just get tossed around. Um, and they're not. Um, they're, 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 what might be tossed around might not actually be the, def the proper definition of the term. Again, I'll refer people to this book, Setting Captives Free, Personal Reflections on Ignatian Discernment of Spirits, where I have a whole section on this issue and go into it with examples and the rest. But uh, very essentially, spiritual desolation, when we experience these disheartening, discouraging lies of the enemy, a heavy affective movement on the spiritual level, that's a work of the enemy. And therefore, the only appropriate response to it is to reject it, to become aware of it, understand it for what it is and use the tools there are the 14 rules uh, use those tools to reject it the dark night is an experience of purification that is a work of god which already tells us that the only appropriate response here is going to be accept to accept it and go through it faithfully we have a marvelous example in our time of um, saint Teresa of calcutta mm -hmm. mother Teresa, doing this for so many years in her life and it is to use it in the specific sense in which St. John of the Cross uses it. It is the spiritual experience through which God calls those whom he is now leading into the higher states of mystical prayer. What this experience does is to purify the person and render the person capable of the deeper union with God, um, which is presupposed by that kind of prayer. So they're, they're, they're completely different uh, realities. If a person says in practice, well, how can I know whether I'm in spiritual desolation or the dark night? That responsibility is not on the shoulders of the person, but uh, the best way to get clarity on that would be recourse to a wise and competent spiritual director who does have the responsibility of knowing such things. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. All right, well, Father, Tim, thank you so much. So let's talk a little bit about some of the, the resources there, uh, particularly with discerning God's will and. Um, any other resources? You've plugged a bunch in the episode. This is great. I appreciate you, you sharing. Um, and I hope that the listeners avail themselves to them. We'll, we'll try to make it as easy for them as possible. But is there anything else that you would like to plug here in these last couple of minutes? Well, all of these resources are available through my website, mm -hmm. which, as you mentioned, is just fr for father, timothygallagher.org. Um, but to name them, as far as discernment of spirits, what we've been speaking about, I would um, there. I have two books on this. One is called The Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide for Everyday Living, in which I go systematically through the 14 rules. The second is this book, Setting Captives Free, Personal Reflections on Ignatian Discernment of Spirits. 
And this just allowed me to, in a more personal way, to add in what I had learned and experienced since writing the first book. So I think a person who wants to begin could actually begin with either book. Uh, the books do not repeat each other. One complements uh, the other. I also have a series of podcasts on this material. It's 16 half-hour podcasts, which are conversations, kind of like what we've just done here, with uh, Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts. So as a website, it's discerninghearts.com. She also has an app, which is just the Discerning Hearts app. These are free resources. And uh, there's also a set of podcasts on discerning God's will there as well. As um, regards discernment of God's will, the book that I mentioned, Discerning God's Will, an Ignatian Guide to Christian Decision-Making. And for those who would like this in a visual form, I have taught these as series on EWTN, and the DVD is available, both of um, Discernment of Spirits, and that's called, I think, Living the Discerning Life. Mm -hmm. And that's available either through the EWTN website or my website. And then the uh, Discerning the Will of God an Ignatian Guide to Catholic Decision-Making, I think they called it. And that too, that DVD is available both through my website and EWTN. Wonderful. Well, maybe we'll have to get you back on the Always Hope podcast to do a part two of Discerning God's Will. I'll read the books and get some more information. I'll come back with some more questions if you'd be open to doing that. Sure. <laughs> okay, Father Tim, uh, last question that I ask all my guests, what gives you hope? What gives me hope? The deepest thing that gives me hope is the redemption that Jesus Christ has worked in the world. And there's a lovely uh, presentation of this in Pope well, St. John Paul II's book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, in the chapter entitled, Be Not Afraid. And I go back to this over and over again. The journalist asks him, how can you, you know, how he said repeatedly to the world, do not be afraid, quoting Jesus' words. And the journalist, good journalist question, he asks him, how can you say that to the people of this world? Look at what's happening around us in this world. Disasters and wars and violence and hunger and broken lives and broken hearts and broken homes, nations and chaos. How can you say to the people of this world, do not be afraid? And the essential part of the Pope's answer is this, why should we not be afraid? He answers, because we have been redeemed by God. In the redemption, we find the most profound basis for the word, words, do not be afraid. The redemption fills all of human history. And then this sentence, and I'll just conclude with this. The power of Christ's cross and resurrection. That's the redemption. The power of Christ's cross and resurrection is greater than any evil we can or should fear. Mm -hmm. Say that again. The power of Christ's cross and resurrection is greater than any evil we can or should fear, which recognizes that there are evils in the world that we can fear and evils that we should fear, but that there is a power in the world greater than any of them. And it's there at every moment of history. It's the power of the redemption. So um, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Amen. You know, that's, that's the deepest reason for our hope. Amen. Well, Father Timothy Gallagher, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I appreciate it. God bless you and your continued ministry and service to the people of God. Thanks, Mario. Amen. Another great show is in the wraps. So what's the takeaway from me? That the spiritual exercises are just that. Exercises. Therefore, you can't run before you can walk. And just like any other exercise regime, 
you have to start small and slowly increase the intensity of the, of the activity. And so it is with these principles. If you're hearing about the spiritual exercises for the first time, be patient with yourself as you learn to apply them into your life. It takes time to be able to discern and to distinguish within your own heart what is the good spirit, what is the bad spirit, what is my own human frailty. It takes time to be able to know truly what leads me towards genuine consolation and what doesn't. And so there is this process within me that I have to undergo of, of sifting and growing in my own awareness of my own emotions and what God is doing. And that just takes time to be able to learn how to incorporate all of that within your life. But it's worth it. Because as Father Gallagher has said so beautifully, the, the desolation is a tactic that the enemy likes to use to discourage us and to convince us that, that God doesn't want the best for us. And whenever we experience that in our lives, we have to be able to reject that sincerely and grow within us to understand what God is doing even in the midst of the desolation. So I'm very grateful for Father Timothy, for his work, and especially for just joining me on the show. And I'm grateful to all of you for taking the time to listen to this episode. So subscribe, share, follow me on Facebook or Instagram. And until next time, God bless everybody and be good.